Welcome to part two of my conversation with Susan Bin and Iku Beck. If you don't know who these people are, make sure you check out part one of this conversation. If you'd like to hear about art as a healing alchemy, Lil Nas X's Montero music video, and Iku's project illustrating Indian boarding schools, then keep on listening. We left off our conversation with Susan Bin talking about art as a healing practice. Here she is. Art as a practice, the different types of purposes it can serve as like a, again, like healing space. And also I struggle with that a lot because um, I, I can make jokes like, you know, I don't do anything that matters. Like I work in art. And, and I say that because, you know, like I'm an art major. I can, I can say that. Um, <laughs> like I wrote a, I wrote an essay about the blowjob scene in The Shining. I can say that art doesn't matter. <laughs> but, but I, I think um, for me, like I, it, I took a long time trying to figure out like my space in art because um, I worked in the industry and, you know, like, I also want, I also want to be anti-capitalist and there's a lot of things in the art industry too that um very similar to things they tell you at Harvard where it's like well you have to be if you get this if you work at these certain places if you get these certain jobs if you get to you know be a showrunner it means you're special you said earlier like deserve is a very weighted word because it involves this idea like you can deny an individual things because of labor, if that makes sense. You didn't work hard enough. Um, so you don't deserve it because you didn't do the work. And I think that's bogus because the way the industry works, it's like, it's all nepotism and it's a lot of good luck. Um, and I've never seen someone who d hasn't worked hard, you know, like whatever the hell work means, you know, this idea of deserving things, like we deserve labor and like we as consumers deserve labor and people and land and materials. I think like we need to rethink that whole dynamic of what being a consumer is. And so when I thought about that, that's what kind of changed me as an artist, if that makes sense, because we watch things mindlessly. I say we, I just mean like things are produced that a lot of money is put into um, and they, you know, at least inoculate the mass, you know, mass consumption about certain ideas. And I realized to me that is actually quite radical to believe in the idea that things that are invisible should be visible. And like one of the ways of doing that is like, you know, opening up storytelling, viewership and like authorship to people like marginalized communities, marginalized individuals, people who don't get to tell those stories and like aggressively pushing for those stories to be told. That's kind of what I'm trying to do right now, um, where Again, like, I hate this idea in the industry where it's like, you read spec, you read things that are like, oh, this is a good writer. Like, this is someone who's going to make it. And I'm just like, I don't really care what you think is a good writer because Joseph Campbell wrote a book, <laughs> you know, like, because, you know, it hits these story beats. Like, I'm more interested in being outside of a metric of it's successful because it made so like such and such return of investment in box office, or it's going to launch a consumer products franchise. So like, that's why it's successful. I think things can be one and done. And and it's funny because like I, I feel like people reach out to me and they're like, wow, I can't believe you responded. Do you want to like help me shop this? And I'm like, yeah, we don't, you don't understand. It's like, I'm so sick and tired of white men and white women telling stories about whiteness. <laughs> like I'm sick of it. Um, I want to hear other things. There's the only thing, this is a quote that um, I'm summarizing from a writer, Juno Diaz, where he talks about like, you know, the idea of being a monster on a cultural level is not being reflected, being invisible in the things you see and write. He said, like, is something wrong with me that the whole society seems to think that people like me don't exist? 
And part of what inspired me was this deep desire that before I died, I would make a couple of mirrors, that I would make some mirrors so that kids like me might see themselves reflected back and might not feel so monstrous for it. Yes. And it's this recentering or finding a new center. It reminds me of Ocean Vuong, who's a Vietnamese American poet who talked about, you know, he wrote this book on Earth We're Briefly Gorgeous about his life growing up Vietnamese American in Hartford, Connecticut. And it was, he was actually referencing James Baldwin in this interview when he talked about it, of this, this inspiration that he had to say, oh, this particular queer Asian American experience can be the center of the story. And black and brown and yellow people are beautiful. And that's a radical statement. Well, actually, I want to ask Susan about like, you know, this recent illustration that you made in response to um, Lil Nas X's oh. <laughs> uh, incredible music video, yeah. Tarot. And yeah, I mean, that was just, I love that. Um, I like, I, I'm probably thinking of a tweet, but like, the idea that it's like all these senators, all these Fox News anchors are so mad at like a literal 21-year-old for being gay and fabulous, which, <laughs> and the idea too, where like, you know, you're, you're non-white, you grow up queer, you grow up hating that part of you or thinking you're invisible and then being told like, you're going to go to hell. And then Lil Nas being like, well, I'm going to look fabulous while doing it then. <laughs> and then we'll have the audacity to be mad that um, he's kind of reclaiming the idea of what being a monster is. And it's just like, I love that. That's that's why I do this shit. Cause I, I think that shit is amazing. So that's why I do it. Cause I was like, this 21, this child. Cause like, don't get me wrong. He's a literal infant, you know like compared to how old I am but sorry to listeners older than me. But um, I'm like, he's a hero. Like he's my hero. Like I could never be that brave. That is, you know, I just like amazing. Like. Um, so things like that. That's just me celebrating because like I, you know, I also do art that's like, I try to be mindful about what I create. And because um, like I illustrate, but I don't think of myself as an, as an artist. Like I don't pigeonhole myself to a noun. I think Stephen Fry said like, I do art or he says like, I act, but I'm not an actor. I don't pigeonhole myself to a verb. Like I'm a noun and I can do many verbs. Um, so same hat. It's like, I do art and um uh, and it sounds so stupid because I'm not doing anything that matters. Like I make funny little animations, but I try to, well, I hold these like ideas, principles to myself about what I think my own art should be. And it's things where it's like, I want to, I want to actually like in certain ways, deny pleasure, like deny people, Michael Haneke called it barrel down cinema. Like this idea that it's a cinema of reception and not a cinema of questions. And so I like, I'm, I like to make people feel uncomfortable because <laughs> um, I think you start asking questions instead of confirming biases. Iku, I'm assuming you've seen the video. Yes. Oh, yes. Okay, great. Many yeah. times. <laughs> yes. I claim him as a queer country icon and a, like, personal color country icon, which Montana needs, so. Lil Nas and Trixie Mattel yes. holding hands. I'm waiting for the collab. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I watched it at night on a Saturday, like, not realizing what oh, was wow. about to happen to me. <laughs> <laughs> Unprepared wholly for the, ex for the religious experience. You're about to <laughs> I felt so just seen by that video in a way that I didn't expect I needed to. I agree that he's a hero. I think he 
just opened a door for so many people. Here I go quoting tweets. But um, I think like the one that spoke to me the most was like, you know, y'all kept throwing this poison and Lil Nas took it, turned it around and made it um, turn all your toxins and made something healing with it. And I'm like, absolutely. (laughs) Like, yeah, he did. Yeah, I definitely verbally screamed during my first viewing of it. I feel like my neighbors probably hate me at this point because they hear it like every morning. Good for them. Good for them. I want to highlight this thing, Susan, that you mentioned about taking the toxins and transforming them through art into something healing. And Iku, I'm just curious if you could just speak more about this intersection between maybe healing transformation and art for you and maybe also give us just a little more details about the kinds of work you're doing you mentioned the mural but I know you do other things as well yeah yeah I don't really consider myself an artist but yeah I think I have a lot of grief and uh I feel like a lot of people of color in the U.S. do a lot of people who are mixed in the U.S. do and I just had to find ways to deal with it that weren't extremely self-destructive. And it started out for me as beadwork and stuff like that. And more recently, my grandma went to Indian boarding school. My great-grandma went to Indian boarding school. My great-great-grandma went to Indian boarding school. So did, I'm pretty sure all of the other like ancestors that I come from on my mom's side of the family went to boarding school in Montana. And it's something that I've seen just like really impact my family and my community at large. Like I think a lot of, I mean, basically all of our issues, except for like the general issues that human populations have can be traced to the continual experience of colonization, especially in a place like, I mean, anywhere in Montana, it's different than it was on the East coast. The East coast was very weird to me because it's older. Like Montana, the first white permanent settlement in Montana was in 1841. So it's like, way like younger of a state than some other states and yeah so I just had I have a lot of grief around that and I feel like I don't have a lot of people to talk to about it like I'll talk to my fellow people of my age range about like this sad thing or whatever but it's there's nothing that comes out of it where afterwards we feel anything has resolved at all so one of my current projects is like I started drawing boarding schools I have like 20 drawings or something now And I didn't really draw that much before, but I decided to, I like started with boarding schools that my grandma had gone to. One of the things that's really interesting about boarding schools is that a lot of them, only like one building, usually the chapel still exists. The dorms almost always have been burned down in some mysterious fire. And uh, so when I was growing up, I always went to every Memorial Day, I go to Holy Family Mission, which is, I actually, I'm going to go find my drawing of it, but um, I, it's like a place that my great grandma went to. I wrote my thesis on it. Um, my dog's probably going to bark a lot. Oh, oh house happy. tour. She missed me. <laughs> um, <laughs> she's my joy right now. Um, we got her in January, but I started drawing pictures of boarding schools. I was named after the first person in my family who went to boarding school, Ikutsumi Maki, who became Minnie. But that's my, like, the current stuff that I'm doing to work through my feelings is just, like, drawing these buildings that I know that I'll never be able to talk to my family members about because I'm not, you know, I'm not a trained trauma counselor. I'm not going to be bringing up people's 
greatest traumas and then just being like, so tell me about it. Um, (laughs) So I had to figure out some way and I didn't feel like, you know, I don't, I can't tell the stories. Some people like, which is totally fine, but some people will like draw what they feel like they think may have been the experience. I don't feel like I can do that because I just don't know the experience. Mm -hmm. So I just have like little drawings of different boarding school buildings, mostly chapels. You have to go through a bunch of, just a bunch of archives to find the old photos of any of the other buildings. Like if you want pictures of any of the dorms and there's just no, other than the chapel, nothing's there anymore. And I like wonder about whether the removal of like the physical object changes the remembering for the people who weren't part of that project. So like if you move to Montana and you live in Stevensville, you might notice like St. Mary's mission because they have like a little weird, like Indian uh, statue and white person statue um, of like when the missionary met the Indians or whatever. And it was the first permanent settlement of missionaries in Montana and it became Stevensville, but you probably won't like, you won't see the physical buildings that people were oppressed within and like forced to live in. And I just feel like that's one of the, there are many original sins of this country, if we're talking in like religious terms. And I think that boarding schools is one of them. And so, yeah, I've just been trying to figure out ways to work through my feelings on it personally, so that I don't like negatively impact the people around me. But I also know that healing from boarding school trauma is one of the things that needs to happen for um, Native people. Like it has to happen for us to survive. Yes. Oh my goodness. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just in awe. If you were to give one piece of advice to yourself five years ago, right after you graduated, what would it be? I guess two things really. First, just to tie in the themes of this podcast episode, um, even though I hate things like resolution, is to take poisons and make them into tonics. The second is a quote that I came into recently from Boots Riley while like sitting in on an anti-capitalism for artists thing, which is your ideology is what you practice. So it's it's not what you read, it's not what you um tweet, it's not what you know you think it is, it's what you practice. Iku, do you have any? I think mine would be, um, and I'm trying to think of a less dismissive to my past self. (laughs) Be kind. um, Be kind. Yeah, be kind. Just like relax a little more. Things aren't as serious as you think they are, especially things around like what kind of job you get. And it's, it's not as serious as you think it is, which honestly, I went into my senior year feeling that. But then once I was fun, finished and other people had jobs and I didn't have a job, I was like, oh no, don't worry about it. And like appreciate your time coming back down to earth and be open to learning from the people around you, which I think I was, but I just wanted, I would want to like really enjoy that time where you're coming down from being in this place that I'll never be in again because I don't. I don't want to, but of like being part of this high society and enjoy the come down from it. Go on the stripper pull down to hell. Yes. Like the same grace. Yes. yes. Enjoy, same grace. <laughs> enjoy, enjoy the slide, the long, long slide <laughs> oh down God. the pole. <laughs> yes. You 
can learn more about Susan Vinn and Iku Beck at 16artists.com. This episode is brought to you by the Office for the Arts at Harvard and the Harvard Alumni Association. The Yangqin music in today's episode is from yours truly. Final editing and mixing were done by Shez Manzur with production support from Bryce Norton Henley. If you have feedback or questions about this podcast, you can reach me directly at R-E-Y-L-X-N on Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. My name is Raylan Yant. Thanks for listening to 16 Artists.